The Bible Study Podcast, episode 101. Today, the Bible Study Podcast concludes the study of the book of Hebrews. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. As I said, we'll be concluding the book of Hebrews with Hebrews 13 today. And at the end of the show, if you stay tuned, I'll give you a brief preview of where we're going next. Hebrews 13 starts like this. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison, as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are mistreated, as if you yourselves were suffering. This section is labeled in my Bible as concluding exhortations, and it's fairly typical of letters of the period, especially of the epistles, to end with a series of practical advice, and as in this section with words of exhortation or words of encouragement for how we should behave. And so once again in this book, the theme of love is underlined, keep on loving each other as brothers. And then also two particular groups are mentioned, and one would be the stranger, and the other would be the prisoners. In terms of the stranger, there's the reference here, the vague reference probably to the story of Abraham, who in chapter 18 of Genesis looks up and sees three strangers who we believe turn out to be angels of God. To someone like me who's in prison ministry, the exhortation to remember the prisoners is fairly poignant. Now, this, of course, might have special meaning to this particular church because some of the members of the church themselves may be in prison for their faith. But I don't want to take this out of context and assume that it only applies to prisoners of faith. And then remember those who are mistreated, as if you yourself were suffering. What the author is calling for here is a compassionate and empathetic, because it's a church that is living out love. Then marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Live your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, because God has said... Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The first part there, marriage should be honored and the marriage bed kept pure, is obviously talking about adultery and faithfulness within marriage. God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Repeat it again there in case we missed it the first time. And it's useful to note that back in the book of Acts, if we look at the Council of Jerusalem, when the Jewish church was trying to figure out whether to be a Christian, Gentiles needed to convert to Judaism, whether we needed to uphold all of the law, it was decided that that was not the case, that God had called Gentiles as Gentiles, and we did not, for instance, need to keep the dietary laws. We did not need to keep the laws about appearance, the laws about the garments that we wore. A lot of those different things that made the Jewish nation Jewish did not apply then to Gentile Christians. But there were two specific ones that it was their understanding that these should also apply. And one was sexual purity, and the other one was not eating meat from idols. The second one, we don't tend to have direct 
application with right now, although there may be some circumstances where we can use that as a metaphor for understanding God's will in other places. But the first one is something that the church has been fairly consistent on in a culture that was very free sexually, where there were temple prostitutes, where it was said that a man would have his wife and his mistress and at least one or two others, that was something that we as Christians were called to be different. We were called to be faithful in our marriage vows, and we were called to keep sex within the marriage, to make that a part of the marriage commitment as had been planned for in Genesis. And then the second one there, keep your lives free from the love of money. It's also interesting to note that Jesus, in his teachings, teaches more on the issue of money than any other issue, because he is teaching within a Jewish society where, for instance, sexual issues that are being mentioned here, which would be prevalent within a Greek culture, don't come up, because there is a conservatism within that culture regarding sexual issues, but money issues were a very big deal. And obviously our money issues, Jesus put a lot of emphasis on because he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so to live our lives free from the love of money and be content was a very major theme of Jesus' teaching. Also then, the author is calling out two particular verses from Deuteronomy and from Psalms, telling that God will be with us, telling that God is faithful. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. It comes from Deuteronomy 31.6. And then, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? comes from Psalm 118. And these are also then words to encourage us that we need to play, as it were, for an audience of one. That our actions don't need to play to the audience of society or our friends or whatever, but but basically, if God is for us, who can be against us? If the Lord is our helper, what can man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. So the first part of that is relatively clear. Remember those who brought you your faith and imitate them. And then the second part here, what kind of strange teachings and food-related strange teachings would they be coming across? The two main food issues that come up in the New Testament are the two we've actually just referred to in this chapter. One is the meat sacrifice to idols, and two is when the Council of Jerusalem decided that it was not necessary for Gentiles to follow the Jewish beliefs, to follow the Jewish practices in terms of what they eat, clean and unclean, there were certainly those like the Judaizers who didn't follow that, who went on after Paul, for instance, and told people they had to convert to Judaism and they had to follow the dietary laws. And so those are the two controversies that came up in the early church around food. And what the author is saying is that in a spiritual sense, and I don't think we're talking about physical eating here anymore, when he says that we have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat, I think is a spiritual meal he's talking about, that we have a part of Jesus, 
whether through communion, the Eucharist, and that, or just that we have a part because we are called into faithfulness, that those who are still within the first covenant don't take part in. And then it goes on, The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. And this is a fairly opaque set of verses here, but I think what it is saying, it's tied into that previous thought about those who minister at the tabernacle. And basically it's talking about while the tabernacle was being used for worship, all of the things that were done were being done within the city, within the camp. And Jesus being sacrificed outside like the bodies are burned outside, I think is an indication from the author that we need to move on from that tabernacle covenant and on into the covenant that is brought through the sacrifice of Jesus, which happens outside of that, outside of that camp. At least that's the best sense I can make of these verses and through the various commentaries that I've looked at. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let's look at that in two parts. One is basically continue to offer God a sacrifice of praise, that we are called to praise God. We are called to not to bring the blood of goats and lambs and pigeons and such, but we are called to bring our praises to God. God is worthy of the praise that we give him. Then that second part, I think, is a very practical thing, very applicable today. My wife worked until recently as the parish administrator in our church and had a chance to deal with many different people within the church, some of whom are not living out this particular set of verses. We are called to both submit to the authority of our church leaders as well as to support them so that their work here will be a joy, not a burden. And we sometimes forget that. It is good to hold them to accountability, but we are also to support and encourage them. Note that it says if their work is a burden, that's of no advantage to us. What are we doing personally, you and I, to support the leaders in our church? Because they can burn out more easily than anyone I know within the church. And so I think this is a particular call here to not be a burden but to be a sense of encouragement to them. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray that I may be restored to you soon. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so the author is praying both that he would have a chance to come see them again. This is a letter that is, like many of the epistles, written to someone who is known to the author. 
And then also there's this doxology, this prayer that God will equip us for doing good, equip us for doing his will, equip us to please him, to bring glory to Christ forever and ever. Brothers, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written you only a short letter. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all of your leaders and all God's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. And that brings an end to our study of the book of Hebrews. My intention is from here to go on to study the book of Luke and to tackle one of the Gospels, and in particular, my favorite Gospel. And we'll talk about why that is. But let me know if you have thoughts about something else to do. You have a week to let me know before we start up another series that would be a longer series. And so I'm curious to see if people have alternate ideas. So if you want that idea, tell me. If you want to do something else, let me know. And you can do so by putting a comment on this show at thebiblestudypodcast.com or sending me an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Hey there, it's Carly Mercouli, your host of Therapy and Theology, a weekly podcast that explores popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.